Hey, thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message today, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. I want you to open your Bibles to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. We're in a hero series, and Jesus is our hero. I love reading from the Gospels. Uh, My favorite Gospel is Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are a lot alike. Uh, Mark gets kind of short rift a lot of times because uh, 90% of Mark is in Matthew and Luke. But get this, 90% of John is nowhere else. And so we're looking at John chapter 2. I want to show you some things in John. John chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And so they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. I don't have to tell you that the Bible teaches us that Jesus was a miracle worker. He performed miracles. That's no surprise. That's no secret. In the Gospel of John, John has Jesus performing miracles. In fact, out of the 21 chapters of John, John takes all the miracles that he has Jesus performing and he puts them all into a section of his Gospel. They begin in chapter 2 and they go to chapter 11. There are seven of them. Only seven miracles Jesus performed in the Gospel of John before he was crucified. And they are in that little section from chapter 2 to chapter 11. After chapter 11, from chapter 11 all the way to uh, the crucifixion in chapter 19, there are no miracles in John. He puts them all very neatly in one little section. There are seven of them. The other gospel writers have Jesus performing more miracles. Mark, for instance, though Mark is the shortest of the gospels, he, he describes Jesus performing more miracles than anybody else. Eighteen miracles are described in the Gospel of Mark. But John has seven. John calls them miraculous signs. Miraculous signs. And he gives them to us for a certain reason. In John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, John says this. He says, many other miraculous signs truly Jesus did in front of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and through believing you may have eternal life through his name. So John is describing Jesus 
performing seven miracles so that you and I and the original readers and all the readers who will ever read John will go on believing that Jesus is the anointed one, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing in him, we can have eternal life. Why seven signs? John is big on numbers. John is big on numbers. He, he lists seven because seven is symbolic of divine perfection. It doesn't mean that that's all the miracles Jesus performed. It simply means that John's trying to push a point with us about the fact that Jesus, this miracle worker, is more than just a miracle worker. He's not a magician. He's, he's better than any magician. He is the Son of God. He's God in the flesh. And so the seven represents the fact that Jesus is indeed God. There are seven signs. I want to walk through them very quickly. Because each one of these signs tell us that Jesus is a superhero. A superhero is someone who's able to do what normal folks can't do. Jesus is a miracle worker. A miracle is, a, is a, a, an event, a performance, an act that goes beyond physical explanation, beyond natural laws, and it can only be explained as a supernatural act by God himself. And all seven of these qualify for a miracle uh, according to that definition. First of all, in John chapter 2, Jesus changed water into wine. Now these miracles, as I said, start in chapter 2, they go to chapter 11. The first miracle occurs at a wedding. Now just so in case I forget this, let me tell you that the last miracle, which is in John chapter 11, occurs at a funeral. What about that? They're bookended by a wedding in the first, uh, first miracle and a funeral in the last miracle. But here he is. He's, he's at a wedding. Jesus is at a wedding. A wedding festivity in those days lasted seven days. Now, the wedding itself only occurred on one single day. But if you were invited to the wedding, you were expected to stay the entire seven days. And if you were expected to stay the entire seven days, the host of the wedding was legally bound to provide food and refreshments for you and accommodations for you during the entire seven days. And so if you came, it was a big deal. And so you can uh, just imagine how embarrassing and legally risky it would be to be in the middle of a wedding festivity and you run out of refreshments. In fact, in that day, it was a, it was a legal problem. You could be sued for running out of refreshments at a wedding. And they ran out of wine. And so... Mary, Jesus' mother, comes to him and says they have no wine. Now, the Bible says here that Jesus and his disciples were there. We don't know how many of the disciples were with Jesus at this time. I don't think he had called all of them yet. Uh, but Jesus and a few of his disciples were there. Jesus' mother was there. Uh, John says nothing about Jesus' father, Joseph. Most people think that he is, is, has, has died by this time. I disagree with that personally. I think Joseph didn't want to go to a wedding because no guy wants to go to a wedding. It was a Saturday. He was at home watching football. So he didn't want to go to the wedding. But he just told Mary, he said, you know, Mary, I don't like going to that sort of thing. You go ahead and take Jesus with you. And she took Jesus and some of his disciples. And there they are. They have no wine. And Jesus makes a really rude comment to his mother. What, what does that have to do with me, woman? My time hasn't come. And Mary, I, since it's a, it's a public place, there's a public gathering, they have friends all around, she decides not to reprimand her son right there. Instead, she turns to the servants who are there and says, whatever he says, do it. 
Can I just stop right here and say that's a pretty good, pretty good rule to follow right there? Whatever he says, do it. But let me give you a little caveat. Make sure he's telling you to do it. I've had, I've had the experience before, and you, you, you probably have too, of somebody coming up and say, the Lord told me to tell you. And it's about at that point that I get on a motorcycle like these and go off as quickly as I can. You know, do what he tells you to do. And so Jesus turns to the servants, and, and there were six barrels of water. NIV says water jars. I've never seen a jar that will contain 20 to 30 gallons of water. They were barrels of water, stone barrels of water, and they had different amounts of water in them. Jesus says, go over there and fill them up to the brim. They go and fill those six barrels to the brim with water. And then after they finished doing that, Jesus said, go back and dip out of the water. And when they dipped out the water, it had turned into wine, but not just any wine. This is not the wine that you might find at, at, at a discount store. This is Dom Pelion. Now, some of you who've been Baptists a long time, you're thinking, how do you know what Don Perignon was? I saw it on TV. I saw it on TV. Don Perignon. It was the first miracle. Now, John says in verse 11, he says, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So John's doing us a big favor, at least at the outset. He's counting the miraculous signs for us. This is number one, he says. Now, that's number one. The second miracle is found two chapters later in chapter 4. It begins with verse 43 and goes down to verse 54. It's, it's a case where Jesus heals the son of a royal official. Now, this royal official uh, was a person of importance. Uh, he was used to getting his way. He lived in Judea, in the area around Jerusalem. But for some reason, he was sent, he was deployed up into the northern area of Palestine in Galilee. That's where Jesus was when he ran into Jesus. Now, he doesn't want to be there. And I'll tell you why he doesn't want to be there. He has a son who is so sick, he's near death. He does not want to be where he is. The only reason he's there is because it is a required, I mean a mandatory deployment that he had to make. He has to be in Palestine or he wouldn't be there. His heart and his mind are uh, 100 miles south in Jerusalem where his son is, almost dead. And so he looks for Jesus. This desperate father looks for Jesus. He finds him and he says, sir, my son is nearly dead. I need for you to come with me and heal him. And Jesus, it sounds as if Jesus starts an argument with him. He says, well, you'll only believe if I perform miraculous signs for you. And the man looks at Jesus and he says, sir, my son is about to die. And John says that immediately Jesus said to the man, he says, go on home, go home now, your son will live. In fact, he lives now. And the Bible says that the man left and he went back down to Judea, it took him a couple of days to get down there. He gets there and his son is totally recovered totally recovered. And so he inquires uh, from his servants as to what time his son recovered, and they start telling him it was on such and such day at such and such time. And in the, the, the royal official's mind, he's thinking, that was exactly the moment that I was speaking to Jesus. And here's what John says. 
At the end of that miracle, he says that this was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee and his disciples again believed on him. John is doing us a favor. He's counting them. Water into wine, that's number one. Healing a royal official, long distance, no less, is number two. And, but there was a problem there. There were a lot of people overjoyed by Jesus healing this young son, but at the same time, there were some folks who didn't like it. You know why they didn't like it? Because Jesus healed him on the wrong day. The religious leaders thought that there was a wrong day to heal people, and that was the Sabbath day. Then there's miracle number three. Jesus is down near Jerusalem, and he is near a pool called Bethsaida, Bethsaida. And there were people who would gather around this pool because they were superstitious. They believed that every day at a certain time, an angel came down invisibly, down to that pool, and agitated the water, swished it up really good. And then, after the angel swishes the water, the first person in the pool gets healed of whatever ailment he or she had. First come, first serve. Wait for the angel to switch the water, then first come, first serve. After all, that's the way God does things, right? First come, first serve. And there was a man there, John said, who had been been brought by someone, some unnamed person who loved him enough to take him to that pool, took him there for 38 years. No doubt brought him there almost every day for 38 years. And Jesus comes up to him. He's paralyzed now, hasn't walked in 38 years. And Jesus says to him, do you want to get well? Isn't that a crazy question? Do you want to get well? Do you know that some people don't want to get well? There are some people who don't want to get well. There are some people who don't want to get better. There are some people whose lives are a wreck, but they don't want to get better. And I'll tell you why, because they get too much attention from having a wreck-filled life. But Jesus has asked him, do you want to get well? And the man starts offering excuses. He said, well, sir, he says, I have no one. uh, When I come to the pool, I have no one who will put me in the water. Everybody else gets there before me. By the way, what he said wasn't true. It wasn't true that he had no one. And I'll tell you, here's the reason I say that, because for almost every day for 38 years, Some unnamed person loved him enough to bring him to that pool. I will tell you that if some unnamed person loved him enough to bring him to that pool almost every day for 38 years, that same unnamed person loved him enough to push him in that water. So it wasn't true that he didn't have anybody. So Jesus Jesus just looked at him and says, get up, take up your bed and your mat and walk. And the Bible says that that he got up, he picked up his mat, no no doubt he rolled up his blanket, and he walked off. But again, it was the Sabbath day. There's some days you just don't heal anybody. That was miracle number three. Miracle number four is in John chapter 6. It's the one miracle that is in all four of the Gospels. Jesus is on the northeastern side of the Sea of Galilee. It's an area called the Decapolis, which means ten cities. And uh, he's, he's been up there with his, his disciples on kind of a little tour. And they've been there long enough that they've gathered around them several thousand people, at least 5,000 men, not counting women and children. No telling how many thousands total were with him there. 
And Jesus turns to the disciples, evidently even though they're in an area of 10 cities, they're not anywhere near one of the cities, because he turns to his disciples and he says, where can we find enough bread for these to eat? And they said, well, uh, it's a good day's journey to the closest uh, Bradley's Big Bow. We can't get there and uh, we don't have enough to eat. It would take, we'd have to work We'd have to work a full day to even get enough bread to even let every one of these people have a single bite. We don't have enough. Jesus said, what do we have? They said, well, we have this young boy who's over here. He had a paper sack and had five small barley loaves and had two fish. And he said, well, let me have it. And so he got it and he prayed over it and then he broke up the bread. And he had the disciples, according to the Gospel of Mark, sit the crowds in groups of fifties and hundreds. And he said, just pass out the food, pass out the bread and the, the fish. And they did. And miraculously, they all not only had a bite, but they ate until they were full. And Jesus said, now, uh, we don't want any of the leftovers to go to waste, so go back through the crowd and gather up all the leftovers. And they gathered up 12 baskets. Did I tell you that John likes numbers? Did I tell you that? He likes seven, that means divine perfection. He likes 12. That reminds him of the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 apostles. It reminds him of the people of God, 12. He likes that. They, they collected back 12 baskets of the fragments, the leftovers that remained. Did you notice also something? That was, that was miracle number four. John has stopped counting them for us. Water in the wine, John said, that's number one. Healing of the, ro the royal official's son, that's number two. And it's after that, it's like John says, now, I've gotten you that far. You can count them from there on. You do the counting. And so, healing a paralyzed man, number three, no counting. Uh, giving 5,000 people something to eat and then having leftovers, no counting. And then number five is found in chapter six. And it is where Jesus walked on water. His disciples have left that area of the northeastern part of, of Galilee, the Decapolis, and, and they are coming across the lake on a boat. And Jesus is not with them. He stayed back. Oh, by the way, this is not what the sermon is about, but, but you, need, you need to write this down in the margin. It's kind of another good little lesson. Never go anywhere without Jesus. Don't go without him. Don't go without him. They're on the sea without him. The sea gets rough out there in the Sea of Galilee. And so right about the time that gets rough and they think that the ship is going to bow over, they look up and here comes Jesus walking on top of the water. Now, uh, the other gospel writers talk about this event and they said that when Jesus was coming up, he invited Peter to come out and walk with him. And Peter came out and he walked for a little bit and then sank. John doesn't mention that. All John mentions is this, that Jesus comes walking on the water and they invite him into the boat and he's into the boat and John says, and immediately they arrived at the other shore. See, this was a speedboat. This was a speedboat. Jesus gets in the water, it's like a speedboat. They make it all the way to the shore. That's miracle number five and John stops counting. Number six is in John chapter nine. One of the most unusual miracles. You see, Jesus is God, Right? So Jesus can, he, he can point at you and, and cure you, right? Or he could, he could look at you and he'd say, if you're, a blind, if you're blind, he could say, have your sight. And you could have your sight, right? You, that's, he could do that. In fact, he wouldn't have to say anything. He could just think of it. And by just thinking of it, he could heal you. That's what, he's God. He could do that. And so it's really incredible that he, he's approached by a fella who is blind, 
And instead of Jesus just thinking him into sight or saying, uh, be healed and get his sight, here's what Jesus did. He reaches down and he gets some dry dirt in his hand. And then he does something. And see, I, I don't know. I, I just believe that Jesus is, has a little bit of North Georgia in him. And so here's what, I, here's what I really think happened. John is silent on this, but I'm pretty sure this is what it is. He has this, this dry dirt in his hand. He goes, is that not how it went? That's how it went. Some of you from the city, you don't know. So he's got this spitty mud, and he starts wadding it together in mud. And, and once he has it in a, in a good formation, he takes it, and he just dabs it in that guy's eyes. People think he's crazy. He dabs it in his eyes. This guy's got a mud-filled couple of eyes. And then Jesus says, I want you to go down to the pool of Siloam. I want you to, to wash your eyes there. And the Bible says that when the man went down to the pool of Siloam and he washed his eyes, he came up seeing. It was miracle number six. Miracle number six. Now, let me just tell you that by this time, people should have believed in Jesus. All six of these miracles were things that nobody else could do, even the water to wine. Nobody else could do it. Only Jesus could do it. But still, there were some folks who didn't believe. And so, John does not leave this section, chapter 2 through 11, before he gives one more miracle. And basically, he's going to say, look, if you can't believe this miracle, Man, I'm not sure you can believe. I mean, believe when you see water and wine, but if you can't believe that, believe, believe when you see this last miracle. And here's what it is. Jesus has some friends. They live uh, just a few miles, a couple of three miles outside of Jerusalem in the small village of Bethany. Lazarus, good friend of Jesus. Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha. And Jesus is up in Galilee, good 100, 150 miles to the north, and he gets... He gets uh, a message that Lazarus is deathly sick, deathly sick, and Jesus doesn't go. And then he gets the message that Lazarus has died, and guess what? Jesus doesn't go. And then there's the funeral, Lazarus' funeral, and again, Jesus doesn't go. And then finally, after Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days, one, two, three, four, Jesus shows up. And people are still there. Lazarus meant a lot to these people. He's still there, and they're still grieving. And Jesus says, move the stone away from the opening of the tomb. And, and one of the family members said, Lord, <laughs> rigor mortis has already set in. He's been there four days. He, there's a terrible stench inside. The, move the stone. They roll the stone away, and Jesus stands in front of it. You know the story. Lazarus! Come forth. Can you imagine how many people had hair standing on their backs when old Lazarus come walking out of that, that hole in the ground? Jesus said, loose him and let him go. Take off his grave clothes and let him go. Let him go. Seven incredible, miraculous signs John says, I'm showing you these in this little section of my gospel. He still has chapters 12 through 21 to go. But in 2 through 11, these are these signs. And yet there were still folks who hadn't believed. Incredibly. How can you not believe when you raise up a man from the dead who's been in the grave four days? But yet there were still folks who did. And so John says, okay, all right, 
I've given you those seven. I thought for sure you'd, you'd believe by now, but he said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you one more. And people are thinking, one more? I mean, you know, the last one, see, he's, he's, these things have built in intensity, going from the wedding to the funeral, they built in intensity. Water, water to wine, okay, I got that. that you, can, you can probably get that kid at Dollar General. But, but raising somebody from the dead, that's a Neiman Marcus bad boy right there. And John says, I'm going to do one more. I'm going to show Jesus doing one more miracle that will make the raising of Lazarus look like Dollar General. You see, it's one thing for Jesus to raise somebody else from the dead. But then in John 20, after Jesus had been crucified, John says one more, and it took me nine chapters to get you to this point. Jesus himself was raised from the dead. You see what John is saying to us? He's saying, this is my superhero. This is my hero. Jesus is able to do what nobody else could do. Well, why are you telling us this, John? John says, because I want you to receive him as your superhero. That's why. That's it. That's what it is. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, everybody needs a hero. Everybody needs somebody who can do for them what they can't do for themselves. That's what superheroes do. Most of the time we try to invent our own superheroes and they are never real. But you, Lord, you are the superhero who is real, who has done above and beyond what any other superhero could do. And Lord, you have provided not only for life here, but life in heaven. And Lord, I thank you for all the miracles you did, including for those of us who saved the miracle of eternal life that you've given us. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.